Hey guys, John Odermatt here, just coming at you real quick before we get started with today's show. I wanted to let you know that you can get the Lions of Liberty to come to your event. Yes, myself or Mark Clare or Brian McWilliams, we are available to speak at your event, your conference, your convention. Uh, We are available to have a live podcast on site or to facilitate a forum. So if you're interested in having the Lions of Liberty speak at your event, please visit lionsofliberty.com slash speakers. Check out the uh, different topics and things that uh, that we have in our repertoire. And we are happy, more than happy, to fly across the country for the right compensation to deliver the message of liberty to your crowd. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, and it is a special edition, my friends. This is episode number 200 of this glorious podcast that I have been slaving away at for almost four years to bring you Incredible content from people who have suffered injustice in the criminal justice system, from experts in the field of criminal justice, and just from people who like talking about good old criminal justice reform. I have an outstanding show lined up for you guys today. Two awesome people. I cannot wait to introduce them. Before I do that, and I'm going to do it in just a second, but before I do that, I just want to let you know, because there's a lot of great stories we're going to reference well, not not great stories. They're heartbreaking stories, but they're very, very important uh, topics, very, very important cases that have happened across the country in the past uh, years to months here. So to read about them, to follow along, you can go to the show notes page at lionsofliberty.com slash FF200. That's right. It's easy. It's episode 200. I have nothing else. Let's get rolling into the show. All right, so welcome back to another edition of Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor, uh, a Felony Friday edition. And I got two awesome guests today, really excited. Uh, this is episode 200 of Felony Friday, so I wanted to uh, to bring in the big guns. And I actually brought back someone who was on the famous episode 100, where we had the libertarian, uh, conservative, <laughs> progressive cop roundtable, Rayford Davis. Rayford, welcome back. Hey, th- yeah, thank you for inviting me back after that one. That was <laughs> that was a uh, that was an interesting uh, show. People should go back and listen to that one for sure. Yeah, there was there was a, a lot going. On. I should go back and listen to it. I've already forgotten. Uh, it was pretty contentious from, from what I remember. But yeah, uh, Michael Wood. It was me and. Uh, and Michael Wood and, and oh, oh, geez. Dominic uh, Izzo. Dominic Izzo. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's right. All air quotes libertarians. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and my other guest today, Pete, am I going to probably going to mess up your last name? <laughs> probably. Quinones? Yeah. Close? Oh, that was perfect right All there, right. actually. Yeah. Better than my family. <laughs> <laughs> also known as, he's gone as in the past. Pete Raymond, Mance Raider. I'll probably call him Mance a couple times throughout the uh, the show, but glad to have you guys on. It's good to be here, man. I have not. Uh, th- this is. I've been on Mark's show. I've been on. Um, I've been on 
What's that tall dude's name? The ugly one. The bald guy. <laughs> yeah, that guy. McWilliams. Oh, McWilliams. Yeah, I bet on his show, and um, I, I completed the trifecta. Yeah, yeah. You've you've made the, the you saved the best for last here. So, <laughs> you know, I, I think you know, man's listening to uh, you know your great podcast, Free Man Beyond the Wall, and I feel like talking about the police. And I mean, you've written some great articles, especially recently, about some of these crazy things that are going on in regards to policing. So I wanted to focus this show, this episode on that. So I think really um, in the libertarian movement, there's no two better guys to really uh, talk about this topic with. So really happy to get you guys on the show. Before we get into breaking down and and talking about some of these uh, some of these police incidents, some of these police shootings that have happened in the past, uh, you know, six months, past year. We, we can go back as far as we want to. Um, let's talk about what we're drinking on today's show. We'll, so we'll start with start with Mance. Do you have a do you have a drink for LILDO? Yeah. Well, last time I was on, I caught a bunch of crap because I had one of my garbage what I what I call my garbage drinks, which is like wine mixed with a bunch of other stuff and everything. So I thought I'd break out. I have a. Glenlivet 15 Oak Reserve. Okay. Here and uh, I'm chasing it with an IPA called Hell or High Watermelon from 21st Amendment Brewery. I've had that. Yeah, it's actually really good. I've actually been to that brewery. It's in uh, San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I, I broke. I broke out the big guns for this one. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I didn't bring out my my 25 year, but um, yeah, this will work. Oh, there you go. Rayford, are you are you? Able- drinking anything yeah so uh i'm having this is great moscow mule how about that All right. so sounds we'll good do do a little freeze vodka that's that's cheap and and uh and tastes pretty good and a little ginger beer and a lime uh so you know usually when i'm drinking i want a good mixed drink but when i my drinking buddy's my mom so whenever we get together and uh watching football games or something and we want it and we want to drink that's what we drink together so that's my mom and i that's what we drink together well uh i guess i'm breaking out the big guns too i uh drinking some i'm gonna say this wrong it's irish whiskey kilbegan irish whiskey actually my co-worker who actually just got married in ireland uh brought this back to me a couple months ago and uh it's delicious. It's uh, smooth and does the job. So, yeah, I had a I had a listener to the show send me, and he doesn't want his name put out there, but he sent me a bottle of Glen Farkless twenty five, and um, that is just Jen and I had some on Saturday night, and it is you open the bottle and it smells like fruit. I mean, you just smell oh, wow. the sherry. You smell like fruit cake. I mean, you could just tell it's been in sherry. You know. Um, sherry casks for a long time and everything's but but that's for that, that's not for every day yeah, you know? that's, <laughs> that's one you'll enjoy for a while for sure yeah <laughs> all right guys well let's uh let's jump in and start talking about um you know some of these it's no other way to put it i mean it's it, i was just listening the other day pete to uh your episode with uh john whitehead oh, and yeah. good guy yeah, and he's just such a wealth of information. I got to have him on. My, I don't think I've had him on my show yet. I got to have him on. But he was talking about really how policing has changed. You know, you go from the 80s to the 90s into the 2000s and how much more it's really transformed uh, from 
you know, they were, had almost no, like we talked like tackily what they used. There was very minimal use of these no-knock raids. And now it's become like commonplace. They want to deliver, deliver a warrant, bam, middle of the night, they're knocking your door down, shooting your dog, and maybe shooting you. So, I mean, do you guys think, what do you think has has led to that? Do you have well, like a... I'll let the expert go first. Rayford, he's been there. Well, you you are right. And so, you know, people have to be, uh, you know, kind of aware of this policing history. Uh, and, you know, you could really, you know, go back to, you know, the 1960s uh, and and how, uh, you know, the drug war, uh, racial tensions and and how, uh, you know, and and gun control acts uh, have been used uh, to to kind of breed a lot of fear mongering uh, and. And um, and that's kind of where that real action police. That's where we brought, you know, our kind of, of Vietnam tactics uh, into into policing. You know, instead of you know flying in with uh, you know helicopters into zones, uh, we use cop cars and kind of zoom, you know swoop down into into hot spots and control them and then pull right back out, uh, kind of thing. Um, and win battles, but never win the war, and actually just cause death and destruction. Uh, and so that, that's gone on. Uh, we're the world's largest prison population in the in the world. Uh, we incarcerate uh, mm-hmm. our own citizens at the you know um, at the highest rate. It's it's by a mile than any other country. Russia, China, uh, we're leagues beyond them, have been so for decades. Uh, and yeah, this policing, you know, let's get tough on crime. Uh, you know, you went to the '80s with Ronald Reagan course i mean we had um it was the cia bringing in a bunch of the <laughs> cocaine at the same time into these very cities that they turned us loose on uh and then well you got to get in uh, the media and look at look at the tv show cops and and i, I gotta think about how when that debuted mm-hmm. and how that influenced me before i became a police officer and you know you just that's a great little song and, and bad boys bad boys what you're gonna do that's so much fun and it's starting you know this started off uh filming uh broward county down in florida Ugh, uh, lived there for 20 years yeah yeah uh-huh. uh you know just going this crazy drug war thing uh where they're doing you know jumping out doing flying neck breakers on people and kicking indoors and uh and that kind of paved the way to say hey this is this is how you're supposed to act and uh, as a police officer um, and just you know just uh, drug raids in particular um, why do police do them well one they're kind of fun <laughs> you know you can kick in people's doors but you'll you'll hear um, you'll hear uh, de- uh, sheriffs and police chiefs they'll say it we are doing these raids to send a message uh, so it's not really that it's uh, they use all these justifications, f- you know, for using this, you know, speed, surprise and violence of action uh, type of uh, type of force. But they say we're, we're we're sending a message. And so what that means is they're using uh, extra violent, ultra violent tactics for to terrorize communities, mm-hmm. supposedly for their own good. Uh, but, you know, that's that's a good part of what they are. And so. The and we've seen now, and now that we've been doing them for a few decades, uh, that they actually, um, just from a pure tactical standpoint, 
make officers less safe. You're more likely to get shot kicking in a door without giving any notice uh, than you are if you did it in a more uh, restrained manner. Um, So we've actually uh, sacrificed even officer safety uh, and, of course, the community safety as well uh, to send that message. And that's gone along with this whole cult of compliance that has infested law enforcement. Uh, you know, where this immediate kind of, you know, com- I hate to say comply or die, but it's, you know, it's comply or else. And it's compliance through violence. And and it doesn't hurt that uh, the federal government pays police to do this training as well. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's interesting how you bring up um, talking about how, you know, police enjoy this. Maybe, you know, it's exciting. But at the same time, it's it's more dangerous, right? So it's probably attracting sort of like how the black market when you when you prohibit something, um, it attracts more of the uh, you know nefarious characters, more risky uh, people into that market. So by making policing more more dangerous and uh, and doing these uh, these crazy tactics, um, you're probably attracting people who enjoy that type of stuff. And it just so happens, it's a lot of people who. We're overseas, you know, maybe knocking down doors in Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria and wherever else. And they come back here and uh, they find a home doing the same thing in Chicago or Atlanta or L.A. or, or wherever. And it's it, just it, a- it, it, it does. It self-selects. And that's what the drug war and, uh, and a lot of this violence and everything that you see uh, from law enforcement, it does self-select. So you are going to have the guys that are more willing to use violence uh, against their community. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the ones that are going to be on the SWAT team. And they're the ones that are going to be writing the policy to justify the violence that, that, that they use. And, and so it does become this, this kind of uh, feed, feedback loop. Uh, to where uh, it's more violent. And so they justify it. And, and also, uh, we're going to talk about police training, and I know we're going to talk about some other episodes, uh, instances, where, where, it's, where how does training uh, uh, cre- kind of create these scenarios uh, where, where, where you see – uh, the disconnect where a normal person sees this police shooting um, and they go, that was, that was unbelievable. Why in the world did that officer shoot under that scenario? That is just ridiculous. And then you have police officers saying, yes, this was totally eminently justified. And we had that officer had no choice. So where's, you know, how does that disconnect come in? Um, and this comes through, you know, this is how that kind of SWAT, uh, SWAT raid, you know, immediate compliance uh, filters down into every interaction uh, that kind of police officers have is, is a lot of that training. Uh, cops screw up and make mistakes. And so what they do is they set the training to justify the most egregious or almost almost anything an officer do, they specifically design the training mm-hmm. so they can go back and justify it. So if something they really don't want to go around shooting people, but if they do, they want to be able to go back to that training and say, see, this officer, no matter how outrageous it really looks, he followed training. Uh, it's not really the best course of action, but they do that training as, as to go after the fact justification. But what has happened is, is that training becomes ingrained and you have generations of police officers that follow that same training and don't understand 
you know, kind of the dynamics. And that's why the, that's the most egregious police actions are actually, they go back and say, yeah, it was justified. And it, that prevents any uh, kind of accountability. Cops are confused. Hey, I followed policy. So how, how can you want to turn around and charge me for murder or say I didn't do everything I could to, to stop it mm-hmm. or whatever? I followed policy, but they don't know really where that policy came from. So, and then you all get in the whole court system about how officers um, and the police departments you know, don't really have any accountability whatsoever. They feel like they do, but they don't. So, so one of these incidents that, uh, that Pete wrote a lot about recently was that the one in Fort Worth, Texas – where there was, I guess the story is kind of conflicting now. Pete could probably chime in with what the latest story is coming from police. But initially it was a welfare check, but then they've, they've sort of changed it saying that uh, maybe it was, it was called in a, as a burglary or a, I don't know. I don't know what the terminology was, but this, of course, for the listeners out there, this is the case where the police officer shot uh, a Tatiana Jefferson through her window, shot and killed her with her, you know, she was playing video games with her nephew. And uh, so when we're talking about police training, um, and I, I know, Pete, you've you've written about this in a way that you think that this one is kind of lumped in differently, where we shouldn't expect maybe the same result that we saw um, with the Amber Geiger case. Um, well, can, well, there's a big difference. Yeah. Amber Amber Geiger wasn't performing her job. Right. And one one article, uh, it's really a blog post by Scott Greenfield, who's one of the best follows on Twitter. He's a great. He's good. He's really good. And he wrote a blog post four years ago called Tamir Rice's Basically Reasonable Murder. And it he basically spells out in there the Graham versus Cooper decision where whenever a police officer does something on duty, they are judged by, they can't be judged by someone from the outside. They can only be judged by, they have to be judged by what's happening at the scene right then. What the, I mean, basically, I think, and I think uh, Rayford has said this in relation to the um, Daniel Shaver murder was when they went to trial the people that they bring in as experts are the people who do the training, who train them to act this way. So they're basically coming in and saying, well, this is exactly the way they were trained and this is exactly what their job is. So, yes, that's, that's what I was trying to get at. And I probably kind of went all over the place, but see, so imagine you're a police department and you have your, you're selecting between two, uh, two kind of training packages or something like that. One of them is incredibly restrictive on when you could shoot someone. And you're like, geez, you know, I look in this, on this policy of how we're going to train our officers and when they should shoot someone. And, you know, uh, how we be charging our guys with murder or assault pretty regularly (laughs) or you have another person who says hey here's our training and uh we can pretty much justify pretty much anything you do which one are you going to select not out of malice but just out of hey this one kind of works now you know on the side you know you kind of tell your guys hey we're training you this way but you really need to kind of act uh you know more reserved Uh, but you see how how that goes 
and has been for a long time. Let, let me read a quote. This is from, here's the uh, trainer, uh, a self-defense expert, a policing use of force expert that um, the with the Philando Castile uh, murder where, where Officer uh, mm-hmm. Yanez uh, killed Philando Castile. And um, he said, he said if uh, Officer Yanez believed he saw a gun, he was justified to shoot. He is trained to do so. He is justified in doing so. And here's the important part. He would be remiss in not doing so. So this Jesus. is how officers trained is if you even see a gun, not only should you shoot them, I mean, you, you would be remiss in not doing so. So that's the experts. That's the whole, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the whole warrior philosophy guy that goes out there and gives those uh, crazy pep talks to cops. Um, and, and that's that whole, that what they call that comply or die policing mass, uh, uh, mindset, warrior mindset, whatever you want to call it. Um, and of course, then officers see that and that's why they shoot. So he got it, got to shoot. Well, yeah, it's, it's not even a gun. If they see uh, the famous thing that you always hear is they reach for their, their waistband. Yeah. They, that, they, yeah. And then, and see that even goes back even further to, you don't even have to see the gun. You just, you know, waistband. Mm-hmm. As Scott Horton says, waistband, uh, you know, that's, that's it. Furtive movements and waistband that becomes, um, justification to shoot. So you don't even have to see a gun. You can just, well, I thought I saw one. Uh, and, and when that training, I, you know, I call it like uh, scenario fulfillment where, where you, uh, you, you imagine that you see it even when you don't, and then you must shoot out of fear. Um, I've, I've been in that situation. Um, luckily I never shot anyone, but you know, I've, I've been there, uh, where, you know, I've had people running from me or, you know, um, struggling with someone, you know, in the door jam of a car or in a house and, um, you know, they're either reaching for their pants and they actually do pull a gun, uh, and then times where they haven't, and I, I've even caught myself kind of overreacting a little bit, you know, and pulling my gun and, uh, you know, and pointing at them or at least holding it into a low ready position, uh, you know, finger on the trigger, man, ready to shoot. Uh, and yeah, you know how that how, the officers are, they're trained to fear, trained to that fear. So they see it and they fear even worse. I have more fear than a regular person in that situation. Well, I was going to bring up, I think I said Graham versus Cooper, and it's actually Graham versus Connor. And I wanted to read something there. It said, this is from Greenfield's uh, blog post. The practical effects of the Supreme Court's decision in Graham versus Connor and other federal court cases is that those sitting in judgment of an officer's use of force must view the relevant facts from the perspective of the law enforcement officer on the scene. Accordingly, the relevant facts are those facts and only those facts that were available to the officer at the time the decision to use force was made. After acquired information cannot be used to determine the validity of an officer's action. So if we find out later that, oh, the person had a um, had a wallet in their hand, yeah. that can't be used. That's, that's inadmissible. Moreover, 
And this is really needs to be emphasized because the perspective must be of the law enforcement officer on the scene. It is extremely important to look at those relevant facts through the eyes of an officer trained to recognize and react to a threat. So it's their training. It all comes back to the training. It's all going to come back to the training. And then just to, to finish up on this, um, in Graham versus Connor, the Supreme Court of the United States held must be made from the perspective of the officer. I already said that the court noted that officers are often forced to make split second judgments in circumstances that are tense, uncertain and rapidly evolving about the amount of force that is necessary in a particular situation. In the situation of Tatiana Jefferson, she's sitting up at two o'clock in the morning with her eight year old nephew playing video games and i'm sure there are somebody out there who wants to make say she deserved this because she had a, an eight-year-old up at two o'clock in the morning i think that's irrelevant <laughs> when i was eight years old it's i was completely up at two irrelevant in the but yeah i'm the sure time. there's people on facebook who've commented that yeah so uh, for some reason the front door was ajar now if my front door is ajar at two o'clock in the morning there's you know I, i'm probably drunk as hell or something but if that's why the police were called out there, it just makes sense to me that you knock on the door. The first thing you do is you knock on the door or you yell in, hey, is there anyone in there? This wasn't done. They just started prowling around the house with high lumen flashlights in the dark. So and then up to a certain point, they're out in the open. They they haven't breached any kind of fence or door or anything like that and then at one point they come to a fence that looks to be in the video about six feet high and the door is closed they open that the aaron dean opens that door and goes in at that time he is trespassing he walks through and that's seconds later he looks at the window tatiana jefferson probably saw the lights saw that somebody was creeping creeping around out there the eight-year-old nephew says she grabbed a gun and pointed it at the window like I would do, mm-hmm. probably like Rayford would do. <laughs> I don't know if John owns a gun, I but do. probably like John would do. <laughs> and at that point, the officer shot through a screen, a closed window, and hit her and killed her. I'm And people, Jeez. and the biggest problem, the reason this keeps happening is because people aren't outraged about it is because people aren't up in arms about it. It's, you know, is as corrupt as the system is when people really start making a stink about stuff. Politicians do listen because they want to get reelected. You know, it's self self preservation kicks in at some point, but people just, I don't know if it's 15,000 years of government schooling but they just have this idea that these cops are in situations at all times where they feel like they're going to be get killed. And I mean, I can blame it on the war on drugs. I can blame it on a lot of different things, but I think, and I think Rayford would agree with this. It all comes back to the training and, and the mindset, the mindset's more important than anything. I mean, can you imagine if police, had to abide by the non by I, I'm I'm starting to try to call it the zero aggression principle after um, 
um, I can't remember his name, the Ger- Gerard Casey, the, the Irish, the Irish libertarian. Could you imagine if they had to abide by what I'll call the non-aggression principle where they could only act to protect themselves or somebody else? Well, if they're doing that, they're not in that backyard breaking into somebody's property. They're knocking on the door and going, hey, are you all right? Or trying to call them. I think it'd probably be, I think a police officer could make one phone call and give the address and probably get the phone number there or find out who lives there and get their cell phone number. I mean, the friggin' NSA is listening to everything we do. I doubt it would be very difficult for this to be done. But maybe it's just too much. Maybe it's it's not in their purview for their job. I mean, I just or they could send a Facebook know, message from one of their stock you, accounts. I'm sure. And, and here, yeah. And, and here's the other thing: is if somebody, if I killed somebody, and it was accidental, and that person was completely incident, uh, innocent, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. I, I mean, I probably would go out into the woods with my with my gun. I don't know that I could live with myself. How do they continue to live with themselves after they do this? I just, I don't get it. I'm not asking people to kill themselves. I'm asking what is in that mind that is, helps them to justify taking the life of an innocent person. I don't get it, man. I don't get it. I don't. Well, you know, I, I would, I would agree. And, 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 um, you know, that's why you see, I think you see a lot of PTSD in cops and stuff is a lot of moral injury. Uh, and so these, these laws and these rules that, that, uh, that give a lot of liberty to police officers to, to harm people, uh, ultimately, uh, it causes issues. I know you got a kid. Um, you got a cat. You got yeah. a cat bothering you. <laughs> With, uh, it, it puts officers where they are emotionally, they are destroyed. So you're not helping cops uh, either because you're going to put, uh, put them in positions where, you know, spiritually they're going to destroy themselves as well by aggressing against others. And, and when we judge them differently, when we judge a civilian, uh, you know, part of, part of if you are justified in killing someone, uh, part of that's going to be, uh, did you bring on the difficulty? What part did you pray, play in bringing on the difficulty? Uh, but see, they don't, you know, they don't ask cops that. I'm, imagine, I always call a, you know, a jittery convenience store clerk working the night shift. Talk about dangerous and talking about, you know. I've done that, man. <laughs> I, 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 when I was 22 years, uh, when I was 22 years old, I was working overnight shift in a convenience store. And, and imagine. As a, hell, man. You know, um, you know, imagine a, 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 a you know, a convenience store clerk uh, shooting someone because they reached for their waistband. Well, he was sketchy and he came in the door and he reached for his waistband. Yeah, he was coming to his wallet to come pay you. Uh, but and they would go, yeah, it's justified. No, they would never do that. They would, you know, they'd say that's, you know, that's ridiculous. Uh, but we said so we hold cops. We actually train them uh, to a lower standard. We expect a lower standard. And then we're surpri- surprised at the results. Um you know, and it, you're not doing cops any favors uh, by treating them in such a manner either. I mean, we, we keep asking, you know, Mance was bringing up, there it is, Mance, Pete, he <laughs> was bringing up, um, you know, why are more people outraged? And I think it's as, as simple as, even though so many of these situations, it's so blatant uh, that the police are over the line, shooting people through a window, 
um, really fabricating evidence in order to um, do a no-knock raid at night like happened in, uh, in Houston. But people still think, this could never happen to me. I'll never be in that situation. I'll never leave my door open at night. The cops don't have a reason to, to come to my house. Even when they, they'll do a no-knock raid and go to the wrong house. Um, <laughs> you, could do, you could do absolutely nothing wrong. You could be the model citizen. It's never even... That's not true. Everybody commits a felony even when they're, even when they're not trying to. But uh, it, it's... I, I don't know what's going to make people wake up. And I think the answer is, I don't think anything is. Um, maybe when they come knocking door to door to confiscate our uh, assault rifles, maybe at, at that point people will wake up. But uh, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, we I, again, we've been propagandized. And I think I mentioned that we just talked the cops episodes, but you look back at uh, even you just all of the cop shows uh, that we have all of them, even when they show cops in a bad light, they show them in a good light. And, and you go, you drag net, just, it just entire history. I think, you know, just a lot of uh, propaganda. And of course, uh, so we've just kind of been controlled. Um, if it's legal, we, you know, no matter, you know, and, and just with the government in general, um, if it's legal, it must be moral. So, and so if cops do it, it must be right. And, and we just had that been inculcated, uh, into society, uh, it's easy to think that way, <laughs> and uh, it's that's just kind of an easier mentality to do. To to challenge that notion goes against uh, you know everything we have been taught and exposed to, uh, and that would be hard. And you would you would have to hold uh, you know people accountable, uh, and we don't that we'd rather praise them, and that's just easier to do. So I'm I'm curious to get your guys' opinion on. Um what do you think is going to happen with the the Houston case where the uh, where they stormed the house of Dennis Tuttle and, and Regina Nicholas uh, fabricated evidence in order to even get the the warrant to conduct the raid? Uh, I think two officers have once the one's been charged with murder, another one's been charged with I think cov- covering up evidence. What, do you guys think? What do you think the chances are? There's a conviction there. For, for either of those officers, I the articles that I've been writing lately, especially about the Atatiana Jefferson thing, is really the the best way to get a conviction is that it just basically has to become political, and you know even in the case of Daniel Pantaleo in New York, who you know choked out Eric Garner because you know he was evading taxes. Um, or well, I mean, maybe that was maybe that was the initial thing, but um, the reason Eric Gardner is dead is because we have a class of people in this country that we can't say no to, and it's it is absolutely remarkable to me that when I talk to somebody who's pro police and I say, "How can we have people in our society that we can't walk away from voluntarily and just go, no, I don't want anything to do with you. Oh, well, you're a criminal. Uh, sure. All right. Then tell me what, what crime did I, yeah, it's just, it's my, you were talking about earlier about, um, you know, what's it going to take? I, I believe that there, I honestly believe that there are people maybe in the Tuttle family who are making excuses for the police officers. Because that's just the level of indoctrination that we're at right now. That you can have family members executed by police who went there 
And from everything I've read, knowing that they were going to the wrong house and actually brought along baggies of heroin that were found in their cars. And another great one about this is it's another incident where they were shooting from the outside through the windows. I mean, it's look, (laughs) my, 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 that can't be in the training, right? Can that be in the training to shoot (laughs) out from outside through windows? I I mean, look, my, my great grandmother escaped Moscow in 1917. She saw what was coming and she said, I'm out of here. And then they instituted this insane police state that lasted another 60, 70 years after that. What we have going on right now, I guarantee you, if you explained it to people who lived in under Soviet rule would be like, it's getting there, man. It's getting we're getting to the point of black bagging people in the middle of the night. It is just it's I. (laughs) I cannot believe when I log on to the free thought project in the morning and I start reading these things. And I mean, Matt's a great writer. Matt loves to embellish. But what I do is I click the link to the quote unquote corporate media. Mm -hmm. I read that and I get pissed off because I'm seeing I'm looking beyond what they're reporting and knowing exactly what happened. I don't you know, I've been writing a lot. I, I released an article today about that politics is so insane. The only chance we have right now is secession. We have to split up. We cannot have federal. We cannot have 327 million people under one thing anymore. And I think that's really the only answer to this is local. I think libertarians should start running for sheriff's offices in, in, in so many jurisdictions in this country. You, um, you don't have to be former law enforcement to run for sheriff. Like anyone can run for sheriff and you can, become a sheriff and you can say, okay, stand down. You guys are like the fire department. Now you're only going to leave this building until if somebody calls you and it's an emergency. I mean, it's, <laughs> I'm getting worked up. That's That's good. <laughs> uh, yeah, let me, um, I'll get to the Dennis Tuttle and Regina Nichols uh, murder. Uh, but just um, a couple of th- couple of things. When you do talk, we talk about these outrageous incidents. Uh, it is rare for police officers to like kill people, uh, and sometimes it actually is like necessary and would would be consistent with the zero aggression principle uh, for when police officers interpose on someone else's behalf and actually uh, justifiably uh, kill someone. Uh, that that does happen. Uh, these instances are rare, uh, e- but even in the United States, these these rare instances, we're incredibly excessive how we how many people we kill. The real abuse with policing is is uh, yeah part of you know what Man said is we have this class of individuals that we're not allowed to walk away from. And not just like, well, you can't stop following the laws, but you can't even like stop. I don't want to pay your salary anymore. You can't do that. They'll come get you. <laughs> you got to pay their salary. Um, but the, the real abuse is just legal, normal, non-controversial arrests the, that, that, are, that do basically violate the non-aggression principle. And it's very easy to look at the drug war and a lot of your gun laws and all these other, um, you know, no tent, you know, tent on your windows kind of contacts or biking on the wrong side of the road kind of things. Got a taillight uh, out. Yeah. Taillight out that, that police officers, uh, you know, intentionally escalate 
uh, into some type of arrest. And and they don't even have to use violence or anything. Just, hey, you know, sorry, but your tent's too dark. And, well, you smell like weed, so I'm going to arrest you or, or anything like that. And, and sorry to do this to you, but I've got to put this handcuffs on the fella. Um, that's where the greatest amount of abuse is and, and mm-hmm. oppression. Um you know, and you talk about uh, you, your grandmother, or whatever, fleeing from from you know Soviet Russia. Um, I was looking at like Louisiana and in Oklahoma, which have the highest incarceration rates in uh, in the nation. Their incarceration rates are less than 1970s East Germany police state. So we're arresting and incarcerating less people than them. And you say, well, they, they arrested people for political purposes, not to the percentages you think. And also in crime, in a way, is uh, like Alfred Hitchcock would say, a MacGuffin. The, the crime doesn't really matter. It's just a thing that drives the plot. And that's what we have the world's largest incarceration rate. Um, here in a police state, American style, and the crime is—it's just a MacGuffin to to justify this uh, this institution of control. It's it's completely completely out of hand, and you know I it's, it's so difficult because as libertarians we get it, and it's almost frustrating to a point that. We're in our own echo chamber, and I'm in all these Facebook groups, and it's we're all saying the same thing. It's so hard to to get outside and influence other people outside of outside of the liberty movement. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I mean, I think it's easy to do things with like I think most people are coming around on how bad the war on drugs is for society on so many different levels. Um, even outside, I mean, I think everyone's in favor of legalizing marijuana, like 80% of the population is. Uh, something like the fastest growing base of cannabis users is people you know, over the age of 65 now. But it's so, for whatever reason, because of this indoctrination, because of public schooling, because of these TV shows that have glorified policing, because because of all these factors, it is so hard to influence people that we have a serious police problem. And I know, Mance, you were talking about secession being uh, secession being the uh, being a solution. That could be um, the other solution. Could be a, a collapse of society, collapse of the dollar, which which could be coming. Um, could be a collapse of uh, the pensions, which the reason why a lot of people are police officers is to collect that pension when they retire. And if the financial markets collapse, um, we could see uh, you know people fleeing that profession, which I think would be, would be a good thing. And we could, uh, hopefully it would be a good thing. We could sort of re- reimagine policing in a, uh, in a more free society, hopefully. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of left here understanding the problem. Understanding the problem is that really we have, when the police officers are not held accountable, um, when they go to court and you're able to bring in um, the person who did the training, and I wasn't I wasn't familiar with that aspect of it. That they're actually bringing in the professionals to testify in court are the ones who train the police to to operate a certain way. Well, I heard that secondhand through that. I heard that Rayford told Scott Horton that, and then Scott Horton told me that. So Rayford, can you can you verify that? Well, it's you know that's that's just the that's how the system works. 
So, you know, they, they know that what they're, how, how they do it. And, and so even when you have like with the Houston uh, police shooting where they actually charged the officer with, with, with murder, see this, this is how it, how it kind of works. And so why do they charge some officers or dismiss them? Why do they vehemently, vehemently defend some? Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the brass and the chain of command and in, and when you say police officers aren't held accountable, I remember as a cop, I would I would hear that and say, "You guys are crazy. We are, you know, we are just under an absolute microscope here as a police officer," uh, which is true. But uh, from, from just, I'm just curious, just to dig deeper there, like from what, like what, like what, from what perspective, from just your superiors that are like. Oh yeah, because because uh, I would bet you know just within the you know when the six years I was a police officer, uh, it was probably thirty forty percent of police officers were uh, we cycled through, um, and and so and they they uh, were were either fired or let go or quit mm-hmm. because of uh, issues with them, <laughs> and so and so they're you know. The you know the police department's like, geez, man, if we hold these guys any more accountable, we're not going to have anybody left. And they, I mean, they're really in, in really trying to you know to have you know a high level of t- integrity and professionalism. Mm-hmm. But but part of that is um, what they do. So they have a set of books and a procedure manual. But then when you get out there, you kind of have to play fast and loose with that, and they to get the arrests and those type of things. And so they know that. Uh, but when there becomes an issue, as long as there's no problem, no problem. But when there does become an issue or conflict, if they can justify it and they'll do everything they can to justify it, they will do that and protect you and look out for you. Now, once they can't or it looks too bad or it's too political, then they, you know, poop done runs downhill. So the, the, the office, that individual officer, they'll turn around and say, well, you know, this is where he screwed up. He didn't meet, you know, he didn't quite follow our training or his, you know, his, his actions were inconsistent with, you know, our professional standards. So we're going to let him go. And so the brass can, can wipe their hands and say, even when the system failed, we scapegoat this guy and see magic, the system works. Same with the Houston police shooting. See, we've 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 charged Officer Goins. So, abracadabra, the system works. <laughs> and so the the the, the brass never, uh, you know, they're not going to lose their jobs. Uh, so that's how they they work the system. I'm sure that's pretty natural with any type of hierarchy of business, but that's you know that's how it goes with the policing as well. And so that's why they'll 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 defend them till they can't, and then. Then they throw the officer under the bus because they really wanted you to, you know, to be tough and get out there and do that. I mean, that's your whole mission and everything. Never back down, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but then when it looks bad, then they let you go and say, hey, well, that didn't quite meet our standards or whatever. So they're really getting goings on just kind of not really that they, you know, were uh, the actual killing. That was okay. It was the, you know, kind of fudging the, the search warrant, which they do all the time. One of the things I wanted to bring up was it's. I, I, bet, I bet until that very day before that shooting, Goins was considered a top officer. 
He's a good guy. He oh. gets, yeah. You know, so if you'd ask, what about this officer going to, even though his, he already killed somebody in some road rage BS a couple of years before, you know, even then they would say he's one of our top producers and he's a good leader and, you know, he's a sergeant in the narcotics or whatever. So, you know, this, so until then, but then when it got out, you know, and they, they couldn't cover it up anymore, then they throw him under the bus. I bet he still has defenders, though. Probably. Oh, do you, uh, they do. Oh, yeah, they do. Oh, especially that um, that five foot four hundred and forty pound <laughs> um union president. Is it, jo- that, is it Joe Jamaldi or whatever? Yeah, Geraldi. Geraldi. Yeah. Oh, that guy. Uh, he's. Oh, what a piece if of you're criticizing us on social media, we know where you live. I'm like, really? Come on, I can hit you at three hundred yards. Come on. Son, fuck you, man. That yeah, that pissed me off so bad, man. It's like, well, we're not. So, yeah, the First Amendment does. I mean, we know that police don't care about the Fourth Amendment. We know that it's getting to the point where it seems like they don't care about the Second Amendment anymore. Red flag laws. Oh, well, who wouldn't want to get hands, get guns out of the hands of somebody who could potentially, you know, be? I mean, he was in he was in Afghanistan. We need to take his guns away because he probably has PTSD. I mean, this is all coming, people. This is all coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but these- well, now we've we've always done gun confiscation. Uh, you know, it's just kind of been usually targeting minority communities uh, that we do it with, and so we've we've always done that. And you see, yeah, you see the fear and where they train officers. You see a gun, man, you better shoot them. I mean, I mean, it, it, you know. Uh, that's that's the mindset. That's your def- kind of your default position, and you have to override that. And most cops do on a regular basis. Because well, when you when you go to the range, Rayford, I I assume it's just like I'm here in Atlanta. What sixty seventy percent of the people in there who are shooting or would be considered minorities, black, Hispanic, something like that. I sure, mean, sure. Yeah, it's it's like I mean. <laughs> They have guns. They, you know, they have guns. It's oh, the, but see, they're not criminals. The, there, it's only, it's only when I, you know, when I'm, you know, looking to make an arrest is when they become a criminal. And, 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 and then the laws in the gun laws here in in, in America are are really weird. Um, and so I look at uh, in South Carolina. Uh, where you you uh, you can carry a gun in your car. You don't have to have a concealed weapons permit to carry it in your car, but it must be in the glove box or a center console. If it's not in the glove box or center console, so you have it under the seat, that would be carrying a concealed weapon, and that would be illegal. <laughs> mine's in my lap. <laughs> it's in your lap. Oh yeah. So you, yeah, mine's you, in my lap. You are a criminal. So you you. It's easy to purchase a gun, but we have a million different ways to criminalize you. Uh, I look at the state of Maryland, you know, uh, where they have um, you can't even carry a gun really whatsoever without a, a you know handgun without a concealed weapons permit, and point zero two percent two percent of the population has a concealed weapons permit in the state of Maryland. So that means ninety nine point two percent point two percent of the population, twenty two thousand wow. permits out of a out of a population of over six million residents. So that means um, that if anyone's carrying a handgun out of their home in the state of Maryland, 
that you have a 99.8% chance they are a criminal. And so you can arrest them. Not only, not only can you, you should. And if they resist, you probably should shoot them because they have a gun. So, so it's easy to get a gun, but then we have a million different ways we can criminalize people. Now, we don't go so much around um, the suburbs uh, criminalizing people, but we do go into, you know, more urban areas, the, the high crime ones, you know, the, and, and, and it's, that's just a continuation of the black codes uh, from the 1920s. And even the, you know, the original, what was it in the 1960s gun laws that Ronald Reagan helped uh, Yeah, because of the Black California Panthers. Yeah. Was the Black Panthers, um, which, you know, they were just, you know, hey, the we're going to, we're going to, we're going to patrol and protect our own communities. And, you know, the Symbionese Liberation Army, the Patty Hearst thing, all of that was, was, was manufactured uh you know, with the CIA and the FBI. Yeah, that was the Mumford Act that um, yeah, that Reagan yeah. signed in in, in 67. Um, one thing I really wanted to bring up about this whole thing is when you talk to people, especially on social media, and like, I know that, John, you sent me a link to um, a 16-year-old kid in Fresno by the name of Isaiah uh, Marietta Golding, who... He was suspected of murder and ran from the cops mm -hmm. and jumped the fence. And the police, he went down on one knee and shot him in the head as he was running away because apparently he reached to pick up his pants. Um, immediately, people started saying, well, why did he run? Well, why did he run? Okay. My, one of my biggest issues with policing in the United States is that we have this propaganda th this line of propaganda innocent until proven guilty policing in the united states is anything but innocent until proven guilty if you are taking a battering ram and knocking someone's door in you are the assumption is i assume it's that they're guilty i mean you're not battering you're not battering the door down of somebody who's who you assume is innocent right but isn't that the starting point? This kid who was running away, even if he did commit, even if he was guilty, they didn't know that he has not been tried. Yeah. He has not been questioned. They just executed him because he ran. He's 16. People do stupid stuff. Kids do stupid stuff when they're 16 years old. I did stupid stuff when I was 16 yeah. years old. So I, I, that I, sentence? Th there was a uh, a shooting in Pittsburgh that happened around almost the same time. That was exactly the same. Same thing happened. Um, car was pulled over that was suspected of being, uh, you know, being part of a shooting, and uh, two kids were in the car, or th three were in the car. Two complied. The one ran, and as he was running run away, shot him right in the back and killed him. Antoine Rose, I, I believe, was his name. Yeah, I remember. And. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, the officer was uh, he he was he went to trial. He was charged, but uh, was not convicted. Yeah, so well, you, you know, the first thing you would do as a kind of from a libertarian is is you know you know what 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 was the crime? Where you know, 
when you have these these uh, drug raid shootings, well, those are totally unjustified right from the beginning. You ha- there's no reason. It's total violation of just kind of basic humanity uh, to be violently kicking in someone's door based on adult voluntary consensual use and trade of a substance. That would That's just a fundamental violation of moral principles of humanity. So you are automatically the aggressor and and you know any you know basis of of you know claiming some type of self-defense is ludicrous this is no more justifiable than a guy robbing a jewelry store and well, I had to shoot the i had to shoot the owner because well he flinched and i thought he had to protect myself you know you, you have the same uh total lack of moral justification uh with the kid that got shot in the back there um did the cops have a right to confront him and so there was a shooting the day before. It's interesting. You know, they thought he was a murder suspect. Well, the shooting the day before was him and his brother were alleged to have shot into a car that held four other kids. And they didn't actually hit him. They shot the car and blew the back window out, but they didn't actually hit anyone. The, that car sped off and wrecked. And that's how this other kid died. And so that's that's the and so whether the the 16 year old boy, the Goulding kid that they actually shot, was he the trigger man or not? uh, They didn't know at that time. And so they got good information. They went to the house, um, you know, and instead of getting a warrant or anything like that, or maybe going to the parent or the father and say, hey, your kids, uh, you know, been associated with this shooting. Uh, you know, we, we, we definitely, he needs to talk to us and we, you know, this gun, you, you need to bring this, you know, you, uh, you know, if he's got this gun, you know, we need it because we got to make some type of resolution to this yeah. dispute. Um, but they didn't do that. They just, you know, did some pretextual traffic stop and then just did the whole, you know, felony stop thing, which again, the, th- and you create that immediate comply or die situation. And then you have kids that are going to panic and run. Uh, so did they have, you know, the right to confront him? I would say yes. I, I would say they do. But to kill him when he just runs, that's a little different. No, you don't. He was not like an immediate threat to others. Yes, he's grabbing his pants. Yes, it, it's, it really makes you nervous when people are running away, especially people that are involved in a shooting. Uh, when, they're, when they're reaching for their pants, it makes you worry. I've had people pull guns on me out of their pants, and it's a bad feeling. Um, and so you are kind of hypervigilant at that point, and you are running along. But the kid – Here's the thing. You have to wait. You have to wait. This is what a professional does. That's what you signed up and that's what you got the badge for. You're not some local yahoos that went to try to settle the dispute, you know, over some kids. Um, you, you, you have to see the gun. It can't be a wallet. It can't be a cell phone. You have to see the gun. He's got to pull it. And not only that, but you've got to give him an opportunity to, to ditch it. That's what you have to do. And I'm surprised this officer fired. He was, he was a, you know, been a sergeant. He was part of their homicide squad or whatever. I'm sure he's had a lot of people ditch guns on him. That's what they run. And that's what they want to do. If they have it is they want to ditch it. You give them that opportunity. And, you know, and I've had that same thing, you know, man, they pull that gun and you're like, Oh, this is really, really going to suck, you know, but you got to give them the chance to either toss it or turn around and point it at you. 
at that point, then you can shoot them. But so you've is, got is, you, is you've got the training. The, is that what the training would typically be? That I mean, the cops aren't taught to shot to shoot somebody running from them. They think has a gun, or or, or would they be in some circumstances? Well, you, just like uh, as Pete did. Uh, Repeated the well, oh, the the um, the Supreme Court statute that says if you, if you believe he had a gun, you can shoot him. So that's that's the uh, that's the Supreme Court standard that you're going to be judged by. Uh, you know the policy is you know it, you know is it an, an imminent threat? Um, they get a little nebulous on a bat. You know if you see a gun or do you have to wait till you see a gun or not in the police training? Again, they're gonna they're gonna kind of lean towards well if you think you see one you can shoot them and and you'll be justified with our policy for the reasons that we talked about earlier. Uh, but the unwritten kind of unwritten rule is you have to wait. You that you you got to wait. You got to see that gun and, and not only that but you got to give them an opportunity to ditch it. If they turn around and they bring it towards you, then you can shoot them. That's not everybody. That's not all cops. That's what most do. But there are plenty. You're like, hey, you get a chance, man. You light them up, and and <laughs> and so that, that's that's not 100. percent But I think from a professional standpoint, um, it really stinks. But that's what you get paid for, uh, and and that's where that whole honor and duty comes in. I mean, man, if you wait till then, um, then and and then you want to claim, you know. You, you want to puff your chest out when people say thank you for your service? Then go right ahead, man. Uh, you earned it. Uh, but to shoot under those circumstances, they did. That's, you know, there's no, no honor in that. Um, you know, it didn't meet any kind of standards. They'll say it did, uh, and they'll justify it. Uh, but, but, you know, ultimately, you know, it didn't. And that officer's going to have to deal with that. If he's not a psychopath, then it's going to, you know, it's going to cause him problems for the rest of his life as well. I did want to bring up one more topic here, and I know that you've written about it. I forget which uh, article it was, Pete, but comparing the rules of engagement um, of our military and how much more restricted we are when we're on foreign soil than domestically. I've had multiple veterans on my podcast, and what they all say is if they're in Afghanistan and they're on patrol and they see somebody – and they have an AK-47 in their hands, they are not to engage them. They are only to engage them if that muzzle is facing them. If that person raises that muzzle towards them, and it looks like they're going to fire upon them. So the question must be asked, why are the rules of engagement in a war zone more strict than the rules of engagement in the yard of a, I, I believe that this kid who was shot in the head, the 16 year old, he was running in a yard that was a preschool or a daycare center. Um, and I know what's funny is when I present a question as such, one of the first questions, one of the first things that bootlickers will say is, well, they really need to change the rules of engagement in the war zone. <laughs> you know? And it's like, you know, it's like, how do you win with these people? They love authority so much that they just want to see people dead. And I mean, that is, we literally, we live in, you know, and people ask all the time. And I know that 
I catch crap for this because it's very metaphysical. They say, why is this? Why are we do we have so much more violence in this culture than, say, you know, other you know European certain European countries or countries around the world, and so many people want to say, well, because we're you know they're homogenous and they're no, I don't think it has anything to do with the fact that they have a homogenous culture over there. It has to do with the fact that our government, who we're taught to look up to as to be daddy, they only know how to solve anything with violence. So how is that not going to trickle down into us? Where it's like, oh, okay, so the government, so we got attacked on 9-11, 3,000 people died. The only thing, the only, the only logical thing to do is to invade Iraq and kill a million people. Because, yeah, that's eye for an eye. Oh, I mean, I really honestly think that all of the violence that you see in this country, in this culture, is because the people who educate us, that's what they endorse. That's what they're all about. That's who they are. It just—it's it, the only thing that makes sense to me. I mean, it's—it's it's the only reason I can think of. But you know, some socialists will blame it on capitalism. You know, the white supremacists will blame it on the fact that we have a mixed cult. You know, th- that there are mixed races here and everything. I mean, it, no, I, I just think it has to do with that's what we're taught. That's what we see. That's how the government, who is supposed to be our daddy responds to responds to any kind of threat or any kind of any situation well that's how we do it it's the only thing that makes sense to me i i I don't know i've been thinking about it for years that's a good question well guys we have been going uh for a little over an hour here and uh um, important conversation for sure, and I could we could keep on going. I, I know we could, but I want to be cognizant of, of both your time, and uh, just give you a, you know a minute here at the end to uh, plug anything you want to, and uh, give any closing closing words or anything. So uh, we'll start with with Rayford. Well, you know, I, you had asked, you know, how do you reach out, you know, beyond uh, you know this insulated libertarian sphere, and just uh, you guys, uh, John at, at Lions of Liberty and Pete, uh, you know, with your free man beyond the wall, uh, just huge props to you guys for just, again, hundreds of episodes. These things make an impact. Um, so I can look back as, you know, I have, a, I was a bona fide Kool-Aid drinking boot liquor, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I was, I was this unreachable audience that you guys were complaining about. Uh, this absolute worst and look at me now and it's because of people like you um, and, and I gotta say you know um, I think Mark Claire was one of the first people one of the very first people that I that I did a podcast with yeah. uh, to kind of reach mm-hmm. out to them it's because I've heard I heard this and the, the and and just uh, these different principles and the non-aggression principle and all these libertarian things from Ron Paul but it's guys, guys like you, you say you 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 do make a difference it is slow you can't go kind of directly at people but you put that out there and they hear it and it kind of troubles their mind. And yes, why are we so violent? Why do we reflexively, uh, you know, justify uh, having uh, this police state we do in America? And it, 
and no, it is wrong and it violates basic principles. And, and you just kind of hammer that and, you know, incident upon incident and, and uh, blog post and, and podcast that you guys do, uh, you really make a difference. And I'm, I'm proof of that. Yeah. And if you guys want to follow Rayford on Twitter, you're at, uh, at Rayford D. Is that right? That's right. Okay. And uh, anything else where people should should follow you to, or, or go to find your work? I know you've written for Libertarian Institute. Yeah, I've done a little bit for Libertarian Institute. Uh, yeah, Rayford D on Twitter and uh, Libertarian Institute. Okay. Pete? I, I want to say that Rayford was the second interview I ever did. And um, wow. it was it was really cool, you know. He it it was he had already done a ton of po- podcast interviews by th- that time, and um, yeah, he just basically held my hand through the whole thing um, as I was trying to figure out this whole interviewing on podcast thing. Um, <laughs> my, my first interview was Adam Kokesh, and you know, you just ask him a question, <laughs> and then it's like thirty five minutes of just you know, <laughs> thirty five minutes later. But um, yeah, I'm. I'm at Freeman Beyond the Wall. Uh, I'm managing editor at Libertarian Institute now. Um, I write a lot there about, I would say probably 70 to 80% of the articles I'm writing are about you know, the police state. And I, I don't shy away from that term. Um, you know, we had Will Grigg as one of the founding members of Libertarian Institute, and he unfortunately died in 2017. And he was he was the best writer on the police state that has ever lived. I mean, he, I, I, sorry, Radley, um, he was the best. And I'm just trying to carry on just a little bit of what he did, you know, talking about the police state. And um, so Free Man Beyond the Wall, libertarianinstitute.org. And, um, yeah, I mean, come on over and I'm at Peter R. Quinones on Twitter. I don't spend as much time as I used to on there, but, um, I, that, that's because it's really toxic and, uh, bad, bad for you. But, um, you know, I do try to connect and post up as much, as many articles as I can from free thought project and just to try and open people's eyes to the fact that th- this it's escalating. And if it, if it goes any further, I mean, we're, we're pretty much going to be Soviet Russia pretty soon when it comes to policing. I mean, that and I don't think that that's, um, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating. So, yeah, I mean, this is really important. And I I just want to say, I mean, Rayford is, I I admire him (laughs) more more than I can say. And John, what you do, the work you do is just so important. I mean, you're, I'll tell you, the episode that you released a couple weeks ago that was from, I believe it was in New Jersey with the um, Maj was on. Oh, yeah, with um, Maj and Larry Sharp and Charles Boyer. Yeah people really need to go back and listen to that because there were, I learned so much from that episode. I picked Mm -hmm. up so many little phrases and, and, and things to just say to people. It was, Mm -hmm. you you do great work, John. That was a good episode. That That was a good episode. I I, I, appreciate that. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, I, I did, obviously I, I knew Maj and Larry going in. I didn't know, uh, I didn't know Charles Boyer who came into it and he's a, he's a progressive, but it was just awesome to see the alignment on so many of these issues. And I swear by the end of it, 
Maj had almost brought him over to supporting, you know, uh, the Second Amendment and supporting gun rights. So <laughs> it was it was pretty cool. But uh, yeah, and I, I mean, you guys know uh, I respect everything you guys do. That's why that's why I brought you back on the show, and uh, I was especially happy happy to get Rayford back on here to. Uh, Give you some more time to talk after that last appearance on, on episode 100. <laughs> right. so. I still haven't listened to that and I have yeah, to. You, you got to go back and check that out. I'll link to it on the show notes page. But uh, yeah, thanks again, guys, for coming on. Okay. Have a good night. Thank you, John. Thanks again to Pete and Rayford for coming on the show. And I just wanted to give a uh, really heartfelt message to the listeners out there. You know, uh, there's thousands of people that listen to this show every single week. And that blows my mind when I even start to really think about it, uh, that people uh, listen to this show and listen to the great, outstanding guests sharing incredible stories. Uh, They listen on their car rides. They listen with their kids. Um, They listen while they're doing work around the house, while they're doing laundry, while they're cooking. I'm just so honored that you guys have trusted me to bring these stories, to bring this important information uh, into your life. And I hope you'll continue to. I hope you'll continue to listen to Felony Friday uh, and the exciting uh, exciting chapters to come. Um, there's some great episodes coming up, uh, some just incredible, incredible guests. And I honestly am so – I'm looking more forward to the future than I am to um, what's happened from episode one to uh, episode 200, and those were awesome episodes, but we are gaining, when I say we, I mean me, we we are gaining a lot of momentum right now, and uh, this baby is about to take off, and I just have you guys to thank for it, because without your support, at the end of the day, this is just me screaming into a microphone, so thank you all so much. And have an outstanding weekend. I will talk to you all next week with another awesome episode of Felony Friday. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.